most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. I know what you're thinking. You see Poggy and Beth? We can make it, baby! Me and you! Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy are trading places. Oh, help! Help! Hey, I don't want your bag, man. Help! 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 bet that that man could run our company as well as your young one thought. Are we talking about a wager, Randolph? Is there a problem, officers? Oh, Winthrop. I'm glad your parents are not alive to see this. What? What? No, wait, wait. Now, this is totally preposterous. I'm not a thief. Here we are. William, take off your clothes. You are making a career decision here. Take off your clothes. Did you hear what this man said to me? Now, I have witnesses. This man is physically threatening me. Hey, Randy, Morty, this is nice. I like this. We are commodities brokers, William. Commodities are agricultural products, like wheat, which is used to make bread, pork bellies, which is used to make bacon, which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. I'm considering going long on April wheat. What do you think, Valentine? Freeze, slimeball! Moi? Put that gun away at once, Winthorpe. You lost your mind? Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy. They're not just getting rich. They're getting even. Do you have any better ideas? Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that the best way you hurt rich people is by turning them into poor people. Dan Aykroyd. <coughs> Eddie Murphy. <coughs> Ralph Bellamy. I gotta get Wilson! And tear up the cell! Donna Michi. Randolph, this isn't Monopoly money we're playing with. Denim Elliott. What a scumbag. And Jamie Lee Curtis. By the way, food and rent, not the only things around here that cost money. You sleep on the couch. Trading places. Some very funny business. I hit him at the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And here we are, everyone, in the spoiler room. Oh, yes, we are stocking up. It's stocking up month here in the spoiler room as we take a look at interesting films that involve the stock market, which, if you caught our conversation last week about Wall Street, far more interesting then it sounds on paper. What do you mean? Movie about the stock market. Well, 
uh, especially the one tonight. Uh, I've got some interesting stories with it. I'm sure my co-hosts here tonight will also have an interesting tale or two. Yes, folks, thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and cracking your favorite beverage. I got You're my here. damn good brandy old-fashioned from Drink Wisconsin. No, they aren't a sponsor, but if you want to, call me. Oh, because this is smooth. So tonight, we're heading back to 1983 with a cast made up of many comic uh, icons of the time or comic stars or no. Uh, oh, the cast. the cast. The cast of this movie is Indeed. astounding. But mm -hmm. yes, you heard his voice. He is with me once again. The man with the wonderful first name. It is also the composer of much Almost all the music in all the shows you've heard on Special Mark Productions for this 17 years we've been doing oh, this. Oh, Jesus. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm going to go spontaneously burst into a puff of dust at this <laughs> did you, point. Did you feel your arteries hard? Yes, I did. Right then. 17 years. <laughs> 17 oh, dear Lord. years. Okay. It has yeah. been doing Special Mark Productions. He's done all our music for our shows. It's none other than Mr. Mark Woldridge. Hello, Mark. Thanks for joining us in the spoiler room. Absolutely. It's just like when you when you said that you were doing um, trading places, it's just, oh, this is, I mean, it's, it's, some people talk about Die Hard as a holiday movie. Trading places has been a holiday movie for me for years and years and years. So, yes. Uh, it does take place during the holidays. It's technically, it is a Christmas movie. Technically some, a holiday movie there. And yes. there are some presents unwrapped on screen. Mm -hmm. Anyway, along with that, we have with us today, none other than my right-hand man. The guy keeps coming back for more, Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I've always said that this movie and National Lampoon's Vacation were the films that made me a man. Um, <laughs> if not, they introduced you to things. <laughs> oh, it got yeah. me through puberty. I will I will agree with you there, yes. I've been waiting for I saw you, your... Ian Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I, I saw you watch this on a VHS copy, and I had a lot of questions about the quality of certain scenes. Yes, um. right here. it's not even in the original sleeve it's a hollywood video rental <laughs> version so you know <laughs> the only thing is it's not beta so uh my parent my grand my dad had it on beta uh and yeah well we'll get into it uh <laughs> hey mark since you're new here we're gonna spare ian tonight give a brief synopsis to our wonderful listeners out there uh, about trading places and what it's about. Well, you see, this is a retelling of the biblical book of Job in which the... <laughs> in which he the, trades the one, bro. Oh, wait. Mark froze. Oh, wow. Mark, come back. Trade, <laughs> traded <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> well, wow, okay. We're, hey, hey, we're still streaming. Okay, um, yes. Hey, everybody. So... <laughs> So where Mark. were we? We were talking about a synopsis of uh, yeah. what this movie is. And we were saying that this is the biblical book of Job. And, and just thinking about how this is the, you know, the um, the powers above looking down upon their underlings and talking about how, well, I believe that I could do this to them and they will do this. And the other person saying, no, I don't believe that they'll do that. And so I just sort of um, thinking of it in terms of biblical terms for an R-rated early 80s comedy has always sort of amused me. Um, uh, it's, but but go ahead. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because oh well, Mark's gone now. I, <laughs> I I hope he comes back. Um, no, uh, but no. Hey, you and me, we can hang out, Mark. Yeah. Um, 
but no, it's, it's interesting because I'd never thought of it in terms of Job. Um, but yeah, because I think in that, in the biblical story, it was a matter of trying to test the virtue of one mm-hmm. of God's followers. And Satan was like, you know, I really, you've got these devoted followers who will do anything that, you know, you ask them, what if you give them a really hard time of life? And mm-hmm. God's like, yeah, I know a guy. Um, this movie, <laughs> there there aren't very many virtuous people uh, in there's, there's in that, this story. But, and and I think it, in in that way though, it's sort of like, no, Winthorpe is smart, and he will do well no matter where he goes. Um, but th- that's the whole idea, though. If you deal him a harsh, you know, hard hand, he'll turn to crime, and he'll actually he'll he'll not be smart about that. Um, and, and it is actually something that. Um, it's a question I saw that in one of the reviews I read of this, they were questioning how intelligent both of the main characters actually are and how smart they thought they were. Uh, and so it's like Winthorpe, is he a smart guy? Billy Ray, how smart is he? Um, and it's like, I think you know, Billy, uh, Billy Ray takes to the, the whole ideas of commodities trading, like a, like a fish to water. Um, and so I really question you know, the, the one reviewer talking about how he's not as smart. Um, well, I, don't know where I, I, I think I, we'll talk about that because I actually, I reviewed this movie. I did an episode of this of this on my show earlier this year. Um, so I rewatched trading places somewhat recently and I watched this a lot when I was a kid on cable because my parents yeah. loved it. I was way too young to see it, but <laughs> you know, it wasn't until watching it as an adult that I noticed that there was a sort of an element of cheating on the Billy Ray character as far as um, the the way that he handles <clears throat> going from being a, a street hustler to being a Wall Street trader, whereas Winthorpe goes from being a Wall Street trader to being you know someone who has to turn to, to crime on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the acumen, we don't have to talk about this now, but we're never really given an indication as to how or why Billy Ray has this aptitude for, mm-hmm. uh, for the stock market. It just seems to be like something that happens in the movie. Like, is there a, a scene missing or something where they say, <laughs> right. yes. oh, yeah, he's he what? actually went to business school and fell on hard times or something like, no, he's uh-huh. all of a sudden just talking about pork bellies as if he was, you know, talking about the, you know, the booze of the bar. G.I. Joe with a kind of grip. It's like there's right. he makes some <laughs> analogies to it, but there's not exactly a one-to-one ratio as far as understanding those two things and making those apply in the, in, in the business world. Yeah. I think it would have been more interesting if I know we're jumping way far afield here, but there is that episode of the Flintstones from forever ago um, where Fred is at a boardroom meeting or something. He's taking phone calls. And he's like, all he, he has three catchphrases that someone who kind of knew about business taught him. And he just keeps repeating those at this board meeting. And everyone's really impressed with his acumen, but he's accidentally succeeding in business. I think that would have been a more interesting approach <laughs> to take with Eddie Murphy's character. Like, oh, yeah, go ahead and, and sell the pork bellies and, you know, buy precious metals in you know, Uganda or something like that. And they were like, that's brilliant instead of him actually making these good calls. But anyhow, <laughs> I'm back. Welcome Hello. back, Mark. Hey, Mark. <laughs> what I miss? Oh, anyway, I, we I, I winged caught, it and it was I, fine. I, I, I we you. missed you though. <laughs> no, you yes. didn't miss me. See, I'm not needed. That's all. I'm not needed anywhere. Uh, <sighs> no, um, no, you you guys bring up a good point with Billy Ray. We'll just dive into this. Um, the the impression I always got with it with Billy Ray is they were implying, and again, folks, this is this film is almost two hours long. It cruises pretty quick. You could mm-hmm. almost have used another ten minutes, maybe, with the setup. 
But one of the impressions I get with the uh, Billy Ray character is that he's a guy who fell on hard times, but he's he's a sharp individual. He just ends up having been in a situations, you know, where uh, he wasn't either given opportunities. And here he's actually given an opportunity and he seems to catch on quickly. Now, they don't really establish that, but they roll into it. And the one thing that I noticed this time from the many other times I've watched this film, a lot of times when I was too young to watch it, hello, sixth grade and my sick day. Um, <clears throat> yeah, three times in a row. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> on beta. Uh, say no more, say no more. I was, yeah. <laughs> well, the parents weren't around. I was uh, being watched by my uncle upstairs. He was sleeping in the back, taking a nap. And, Pause. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I happened to watch the movie three times anyway uh i've said too much but uh, <laughs> one of the things i noticed with his character is there's a passage of time that they don't exactly relay well in the film it jumps time from when his first like his first day to when he's actually like going through the payroll checks there's at least a few weeks in there and you get the impression that billy ray is really trying to make this work because he he's liking the money mm-hmm. and the position that he's in, you know, so and and he does catch on quick. He's got some quick wit to yeah. him, which we see when he's even in jail. He doesn't mm-hmm. balk even when the big guys are about to squash him like a bug. He's like, back the fuck up. Do you know who you messing? I mean, you know, he this guy's got he's got some grit to him. But it, it there's, always... there's a difference between being able to big yourself up in a jail situation. Mm-hmm. And being able to make complicated financial decisions that actually work. Yeah. There is no montage of him learning and messing up. There's no learning curve aside from that that wonderful joke that's actually in the trailer of uh, the uh, the older brothers, yeah. um, the Dukes, explaining the stock market to him. That is uh, one of know, the best fourth wall breaks ever. Oh my god. It, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's such so a classic. Brilliant. I had forgotten yes. about that part. I nearly spit out my drink when I was watching yeah. that. But he's like, oh, and, and pork bellies, you know, pork futures uh, related to bacon, which you might find in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. <laughs> so good. But yes, we get a fully developed picture of what's going on in the Dan Aykroyd character's life as sure. far as his starting mm-hmm. out. You know, you can tell he's college educated. We get almost his full backstory and then his full descent all the way down, and then his ascent back all the way up. But with the Eddie Murphy character, uh, we, he doesn't really have a character. He's, he is what the script needs him to be mm-hmm. from scene to scene. So and I, I'm, I guess maybe you could say that that is partially a little bit of life in America in that, okay, the white guy, you can fill in his backstory, but the poor <laughs> guy? Yeah, he doesn't get he doesn't get a story. I mean, that's life in America to a certain. Yeah, but that's extent. also a bit. Of, it's also a bit of a reach for a broad studio comedy. John Landis was not thinking in these strokes back in nineteen eighty three. Neither was anybody else. That's something today where you can you you can have the director and go like, oh, we didn't define this character because America doesn't define. No, this is forty years ago. They weren't talking in this language. Well, and I'm just saying that because people weren't talking in that language because that's just how it is i mean that's that's an inherent in you know american culture is 
white and racist. I mean, but anyway, uh, 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 you're anyway, talking yeah. to a mixed race kid here who grew up with a, a black dad and a white mom, and they didn't cotton any of that. So I, I we have to agree <laughs> disagree on that one. Fair enough. Well, I mean, uh, it's written by the guys who brought us Brewster's Millions. My stepmother is an alien, which we did cover here. Uh, well, we did cover that one. No, that wasn't that. That wasn't the one we covered. Uh, Space Jam, Pure Luck, Astro Boy, Kindergarten Cop Two, and Space Two. Jam: A New Legacy. <laughs> uh, that is the writing duo. And so, amongst all those other films, you have Trading Places, which is their only second feature that they wrote. That um, is a, that's an incredibly long career, though. Like, when it you, is. When you look at that yeah. span, man. Okay. It is. It's so it's interesting that they're the ones that wrote, you know, that's that's just like learning, like the guys who basically saved Disney, literally saved Disney, also wrote and were the minds behind Little Shop of Horrors musical. OK, you, you like get the work of these guys. This, these writers after Brewster's Millions mostly did like kid type lighter fare. Mm. But here's this raunchy comedy that's uh, talking, addressing, for the best of 1983's ability, addressing class mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, class and environment versus genetics, which was a big topic at the time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're being topical, but yeah, I'm with Ian. I, I don't think Landis or the writers were exactly thinking no, I, deeply, I mean, this, no. is a, this is a metaphor and a speaking on the you know, I, I, I do not I do not race. mean to say that I was no that was <laughs> no, not, no I, yeah that was not at the forefront of their mind when they were saying I, that. No. no no but we know what was partly the forefront of their mind with that party scene in Billy, in Billy Ray Valentine's uh aka uh you know uh uh, uh Lewis Winthorpe's home <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's 80s folks early 80s especially if you had a comedy, you had to have a topless scene, at least one. <laughs> Did it matter if yeah. it served anything at all, if there was an attractive female character in there or even a, 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 a extra, someone's losing their shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it just that was the formula for 80s comedies back in the day. It is strange now because, we, you know, American movies have become so like sexless in the in the last decade or so that to go back and watch these kind of time capsule movies like what's going on here? Not that I'm complaining, but it just does seem so out of place, almost like a quota, like, OK, we got to have a star. We got to have a producer and we have to have breasts. <laughs> well, well, what's funny in the trailer, and we'll talk about the trailer later and in, 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 if it's trailer trash or not. There's an alternate scene to a famous scene in Trading Places involving Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis in the movie for the first now she's been at, she at this point she's been doing a lot of horror, a lot of B mm-hmm. horror, and that which has a reputation of the female performers in those movies losing clothing. She never did until. This movie was the first time where she actually it was in front of the camera, uh, uh, bared uh, trading clothing. Yes, tra- yeah, <laughs> trading clothing. And it's interesting that you have this comedy is when she did it, but it's the same scene in the trailer, but she's clothed and she delivers it just slightly differently. And she's like, yeah, 
And, you know, rent isn't the only thing that's not free around here. You sleep on the couch. In the movie, she takes her top off first, and mm. then she says it. In the trailer, she's clothed, and then she kind of uh, says it slightly differently in the in the trailer that we watched. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. They had a couple different cuts of it. No, they scene. just wanted to be able to show the trailer to more people. I mean, that's really <laughs> appro- approved yeah. for all audiences. No, no red yes. bad trailer. Yeah. No, trailer, no, right? yeah. <laughs> but the the I don't want to dive too much into this but the because i noticed that too in the trailer the top that she has on is very flimsy so yeah i mean it might as well have been painted on on a piece of cell paper for like an animation she was clothed she was clothed so yeah no uh uh, but no it's just it just shows like that so when we get this party scene because folks once billy ray has they, they tell him hey you've got all this money that you've got this job and everything Of course, this guy who's been down and out, owing people money and people have been kind of picking on him for being a quote unquote bum. He decides to come out and show him up and then, hey, party at his house. And yeah, it is a quick turnaround. But at the same time, I found it amusing when he's sitting here going, who's been putting their coals out on my (laughs) rug? Have you people not heard of coasters? And what sells that is Eddie Murphy. Eddie yeah. Murphy's comedic talent. I think someone mm-hmm. else in this role just doesn't make that scene work. He makes that scene believable at work, and it just because of of how he plays it. I loved mm-hmm. him in that scene of how here's this guy who had nothing, and now he has a lot, and suddenly he's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I kind of like this stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Don't break it." I, I think that you know, it's we're talking about how. Uh, quickly some of these elements turn around sort of like how quickly suddenly billy ray is you know take care of my stuff um yeah. and similarly how you know, we don't see him becoming this you know financial mastermind um but really at its heart this 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 is a farce this this is a yeah. farcical comedy and and so i think these quick turns um it, it sort of fits in there we don't want to dive too deeply because at its heart this movie is ridiculous and mm-hmm. it has this sheen of, um, you know, properness uh, that I think that the overall, the whole financial institutions and uh, the men's clubs and everything like that gives it. But at its heart, it's ridiculous because really, come on, at the end of it, it involves monkey rape. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that's, you know, honestly, this is, it's something I'd, I think I'd lack this out in my you know, in my youth, because I remembered the movie up to a certain point, it literally goes off the rails once they get on the train at the end of the yes. movie. There's and some like, elements in there, just like there's like maybe 20, a little. Yeah. yeah, there's 20 minutes of this movie towards the end, and this is why I think I can't forgive some of the sloppiness of the screenwriting. I'm like, you had the time in this two-hour comedy to flesh some of <laughs> yeah. this out, but then you, you know, you got Franken and Davis and Jim Belushi. Uh, you know, and, and all this other stuff in the train scene, which just reads like 15 rejected Saturday Night Live skits. <laughs> yes, it train, is. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, cute and everything, but you could cut that out of the movie and it would still be the same picture because it, at the end you get to the trading floor and the whole mm-hmm. thing with the Dukes and the buying and selling, which is a great way to end the movie. But yeah, it's just this, this weird segment that doesn't really belong in there it, in it's an climax. extended it's an extended threes company sketch pretty much where they just <laughs> all they have to do is swap the briefcases that's all it is pretty much yeah. uh and there's yeah there, there's mbaya, 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 
Merry New Year. Keep Merry New Year. Yes. Dude, dude. I used to, I was, I would, I would sit there and go, a beef jerky time. Yes. I, I would just say beef jerky time every so often, just because yeah. Eddie Murphy, the way he, again, he shines in this as his, with his comedic talent, just shines yeah. in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at, at the end, you're like, wait, it's almost as if they weren't quite sure how they were going to get from point B to point C in this film. So mm-hmm. let's do this, but let's make it funny. Never mind the fact that she's posing as Inga from Sweden. And, yeah. And, you know, but you're wearing lederhosen. Um, and Beeks has seen her before, but he seems to have blanked out of his mind, even with the, the, the pigtails. You yeah. can tell that's the same woman that he paid money to to set up Winthorpe initially so that yeah. his fiance would reject him. And that little hole, that, that one of the holes, and I'm watching this going, ah, damn it, there's another hole. Yeah. And, and then, and then <laughs> Winthorpe comes in as the sort of quasi Rasta. It's just like, you know, not recognizing the others, but then Winthorpe in this most laughable outfit. We won't get in into the whole. Face. Yeah, we won't get into that aspect of it. Uh, it's just like wow, and you're sitting here in the same train car with Beeks, the guy who is that you're trying to pull one over on. Yeah. Well, not only that, but Beeks was the instrument by which Winthorpe was set up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he yeah. had he had a profile on this guy, pictures. He was in the the giant board meeting at the, yes. at the beginning where he got framed. So it's like. Yeah, it's Dan Aykroyd in blackface. You know, like, yes. what are you doing here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe maybe he was in shock that he saw Dan Aykroyd in blackface. blackface. His brain was, was rejecting it, going, that can't yes. be Winthorpe. <laughs> if they, here's the thing. If they wanted to be clever about it, you could play Beaks up as this incredible racist and that whole line of like, oh, everybody looks the same. Oh. Maybe he could be like, oh. I didn't recognize yeah. him because I thought he was just a, a black yeah. guy. You know, that's an mm. angle you could play with it instead of this like, yes, I'm an incredibly smart Washington mover and shaker, a corporate hitman or hatchet man, but I don't recognize yeah. a guy that I saw three days ago. Yeah, head of security. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, head uh, of security, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, before we keep going, because there's there's some other things I want to address uh, that happened a little earlier out in the film. We got Robert Baum back with us. Info Baum is with us. And uh, he said, one of the earliest R-rated films I saw, I think it was third or fourth such film I saw before I turned 14. Like all of us. Yes. Uh, video rental didn't card you folks. And if your parents <laughs> had cable well then that even made it even better and then he said had virtual cameos as we mentioned jim belushi and we did have bo diddley in there as well frank uh, oz can we frank say frank oz, oz? Is cop. oh and my god cop. that scene is amazing <laughs> that scene with frank oz as the cop going uh lewis with yeah Winthorpe, <laughs> La <Winthorpe>. Bohem. <laughs> it's an, it's an opera. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an opera. Yeah, I mean, one of the rare times you get to see Frank Oz yes. in, in person, uh-huh. in front of the camera, not with a and, hand up a muppet's uh, butt. And I'm blanking um, on his name. The um the guy that's um one of the dukes sends back into the pit at the very end. He is another one of the puppeteers. He was involved with, yes, he was also one of the puppeteers, uh, Muppeteers with the Muppets as well. 
Uh, oh, and I like, didn't know that. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember his name right offhand. But yes, he was also <laughs> uh, involved with the Muppets. And that's with the Frank Oz tie-in, I am certain, pretty oh, much. Oh, that's got to be, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Robert Bobo says, Andy, drunken pre-Senate Al Franken. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. And and uh, and Davis was the other guy with them. They were the they were writing yeah. partners on SNL they were the, for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. They were they were the they were the bag men who didn't notice the monk guy in a monkey suit. They thought it was a monkey. They're mm-hmm. that drunk. Mm-hmm. He goes, uh Rob Infobob says, I wonder what the mood was like on set given Landis's trouble regarding Twilight Zone. Yeah, I'm wondering that too. Though he had enough of his friends around him because he's making this with a lot of his friends. Uh, I think it, you know, maybe he had some support. Uh, Bill Cobb as the bartender. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of cameos in this. Like this train scene is like, let's feature our friends as cameos. For <laughs> and then yeah, he also. That, well, I was going to say back on that uh, Twilight Zone thing. Um, Aaron Christensen did a. Uh, live stream on twilight zone the movie for the 40th uh-huh. anniversary a few weeks ago and they talked about this and apparently if i remember correctly a lot of that court case and the the tragedy of landis's segment that didn't come out until much later like several years later because yeah. it took a while to get to court so yes the initial story was that there was this big uh tragedy and and vic morrow and a couple of kids died on the set but i don't think landis's culpability really came to light until later so After it may have been movie, like yeah yeah like oh yeah it was sad what happened but my god i didn't realize you were that involved sir <laughs> <laughs> yes an info bomb dropping the info it was originally called black and white but he was thrown out but he's not sure if it was murphy's inclusion was a factor mm-hmm. i do remember that mentioning that it was uh listed as black and white at one time it was going to call be yeah. called that uh, and he goes, I wonder how much outrage was incurred by Dan Aykroyd being a Rastafarian. You know, in 83, probably not so much, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. At that unfortunately, point- it was, this is already seen as like a big SNL reunion type group of people and comedians. And people just were like, okay, uh, you know, comedy was definitely, there's a reason why, especially your shock comedians and just comedy in general was huge in the 80s stand up and everything was just such a golden age for comedy golden age as far as the talent as far as the material that they presented very problematic in many as in some aspects that from now from 2023 eyes but mm -hmm. then you don't have to go back even that far mark i mean you had the in the 2010s yeah. You know, famously had Jimmy Kimmel uh, dressing up in blackface, playing a, a basketball player, Sarah yeah. Silverman, like all these comedians now who will denounce that and try and you know sweep it under the rug. They'll they're like, oh, yeah, it was it was funny, and you know that's the thing is, hmm, I'm gonna tread very lightly here. I think a lot of that stuff is ridiculous, but you know there was an audience for it, and that audience was not exclusively white. Yeah, no, no, it's it just a completely different. It was a different mindset of culture at the mm-hmm. time when it came to comedy. It really, it really was um, good or bad. And I'm not excusing anything. I'm just saying it was a different approach. Yeah. See also Revenge it. of the Nerds. I mean, as far as like movies that mm-hmm. haven't Ooh, aged yeah. well. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and Robert Baum says, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. We, That's right. We, you know, and not only that, but look at some of the dialogue in Tropic Thunder is problematic for those who are special needs. When he, one of his catchphrases, you never go full, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, comedy, comedy, comedy has always treaded the edge and and tried to ruffle feathers on purpose for some reasons. And in mm -hmm. this film, the blackface really isn't needed. If he's going to be South African, he doesn't have to be black to be South African. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, well, he kind of does because well, I mean, okay, look. Elon Musk aside, you know, when you think of African, even South African, if he just shows up as Dan Aykroyd, he's got dreads, and you're like, hey, what do you get? What's going on? Sure. Are you appropriating or, you know, well, especially if he has the accent, I don't know what's going on there. Well, he yeah. should have showed up as a blind guy. I think he would have done better as a blind guy, <laughs> but maybe he'd, he'd have sunglasses and a hat, be far more in disguise that Deeks doesn't recognize. It, 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 yeah. He could have showed up as Dr. Detroit. Uh, <laughs> or he showed up as Dr. Detroit. There you go. I mean, because it was two New Year's and everybody was dressed in costume, there's nothing saying he had to be acting in that role either. Right, I, right. I don't want to hang on it too much longer, but I'm just saying, well, looking at it at 2023 eyes, folks, if you haven't seen this movie before, we're letting you know this is in here. This is why we're just trying to roll, roll some context in there, not excusing yeah. it, just saying this is why it was presented. I mean, just like you get, you know, beaks, they capture beaks, they handcuff him, they throw him in the monkey suit that James Belushi's character was in, and they throw him in the cage with the with the gorilla. Apes, man. Apes. And and yeah. there's some ape love going on with him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> female yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah but again you're right though this is this is meant satirical this is farcical this is supposed to be it's a farce pokey. it is absolutely a farce yes it's supposed to be pointing at making fun of not just the rich at the time you know it, it, it and and upper class it makes fun of the yuppie i mean we've mm -hmm. got all of winthorpe's friends who if you've ever seen a yuppie trope, these folks fit it all from his fiance who talks just wow. I'm like, really? Her? Really? <laughs> Mumsy doesn't want you to do like, oh. oh my God, that would oh but she played it well. Don't get me wrong. Mm, oh yeah. She played exactly like it's supposed to be. And then you get the uh Todd and his group of uh, you know, frat boys who basically sing a song that is very misogynistic about their girlfriends sitting there at the table and the girls are just laughing. <laughs> and he stepped on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say that as well because of the way she did. And she stepped on the ball. Which, which, like, is, which is a reference to another movie, of course. Yes. Yes. It is. Yes. I don't think I know what that reference it, is. It, it's it's a reference to Anti Mame. Um, that's actually a story from there where they're talking about something which went horribly wrong in a te tennis match, and one of the lines is, "And he stepped on the ball," and so uh, that's pretty much a callback to that previous movie. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, Robert Bob says uh, G. Gordon Liddy was possibly going to be cast as Beaks, but the monkey rake <laughs> scene prompted him to say no. I draw Gee, the line wonder, at monkey rake. I, I draw the line at monkey sex. All right, you know. But I, I mean, I'm glad they picked who they did for Beaks because he was the universal asshole. He's the asshole from from Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's only natural that you would cast him as this. Yes. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, uh, he was he was hard typecast in the eighties. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, we've got our Twitter uh, viewer here, uh, Giz Doctor Forever. Uh, Billy Crystal used blackface on Saturday Night Live to portray Fat Sammy Davis. He did. It was it was more commonly used than than the examples that you see on the Twitterverse or whatever verse it is out there now, Threadverse. Uh, it was actually quite prevalent. Uh, some of those uh, have, you know, faded in obscurity until someone needs to pull it out. But, <laughs> you know, mm. it's in there. So you've got making fun of yuppies. You've got making fun of the rich folks. Uh, our two main characters are at, at you know, oddness. We, we see they're, they're two sides of the same coin in many respects as far as their uh, personality and abilities go though winthorpe knows a little bit more of the ins and outs of trading i would think i you know what would have been nice in the film is maybe seeing seeing billy ray give a little lesson to i know you know i know uh basically uh um jb lee curtis's you know uh character does that but it would be interesting to see billy ray like have him a situation to where billy ray gives him some pointers about how to survive you know mm. <laughs> what to say or not to say, like if they're going to go into a bar or something to, for something, you know, information or mm -hmm. something, they, they, they could have done it. It could have done the opposite angle as well. So you didn't just have Winthrop Thorpe going, yeah, what you experienced, you're never going to experience ever, you know, <laughs> yeah. About the commodities and trade, the line walking and a kill or be killed sort of thing. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. The yes. killer be killed. And, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, our Duke characters are played by a couple of very classic actors in this. We've got Ralph Bellamy and Donna Beachy, who was on yeah. his resurgence. Uh, he also did Cocoon, I think, just after this. Mm -hmm. I think it was was Cocoon. So Donna Beachy was back in because for a little while it was cool to cast old folks because old folks are funny, right? Well, or, and, ador and like or adorable, or adorable. And, and it fine, sort of but... pains me to think about how um, Wilford Brimley, when he was in Cocoon, was only like, what, 52 or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> like, well, look at him in the thing. Look um, at him in the thing for crying out loud. I just turned 50 and I don't look yeah. like that. I mean, <laughs> well, th those guys came from the older generation. They've been through wars and stuff. So by the time they, yeah, were, they yeah. were 50, they looked like 70. Because they, they, they remember, lived through a lot at that point. Yes. Right. Because I remember that scene. I don't think I've ever seen Cocoon, but I've seen the, the trailer from when I was a kid. And I just remember, you won't get sick. You won't get any older and you won't ever die. I'm like, that yep. guy's like 75 years old. No, he's like <laughs> yes. in his 50s. <laughs> he, was, he was like 52, 54 yeah. when he played that role. Yeah. Yes. And you won't get diabetes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you do get diabetes you can get your diabetes accessories at the yes. phone number below yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean uh I, I i do love the portrayal of the yuppies but the the funny thing with the setup for for uh uh winthorpe though how he initially gets kicked out of the club but we marked Three $50 bills with red X. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it was stolen from the coat closet. I'm like, man, this is such a wafer thin type <laughs> of, you know, and they just take his word for it. It's just like, never mind that, you know, Winthorpe's been with him forever. Nope. This guy said he's well, guilty. He's got these. <laughs> and, and really, that's what they're sort of showing is that 
um, and that's shown in other scenes as well, is that the relationships in the upper crust are very superficial. Sort of like how when Winthorpe goes back to his friends and says, I can count on you all as character witnesses. And they're like, screw you. <laughs> no, it, it's like showing about how um, the relationships that he had were all superficial and they were not really, you know, really meaningful or anything like that. And it wasn't until he was down in the gutter that he found <laughs> his more meaningful relationships. Um, so it's, it, it has something to say there as far as, you know, as far as, I don't know, as far as class and money and relationships there, I suppose, as far as. Um... Well, and, and the Dukes had a plan for the switchback. They were going to bring mm -hmm. Winthorpe back into the fold and make and sweep all that stuff under the rug because they realized that as cute as their bet was, the $1 bet to destroy people's lives, uh, Winthorpe was a commodity in and of itself. He was a brilliant trader and a businessman who was mm -hmm. on his way up who could mm -hmm. continue making their firm tons of money. So they weren't just going to like leave him in the gutter stranded. They wanted to prove that they were right or one was right and one was wrong mm -hmm. and then get him back into the fold and keep that money train going. It's a bit of a pause, but they wanted to, they knew where their bread was buttered and they were going to kick. Well, it's interesting because the plan I think was to kick Billy Ray Valentine to the curb, but con considering his success, I do find it a little bit hard to believe that they would not try and, you know, even if it's just to continue exploiting him, they wouldn't try and do something well, with him because they realize he was some kind of a prodigy but within that scene uh when it's revealed because billy ray <laughs> so there's a holiday christmas scene winthorpe finally decides okay billy ray has this grand plan of ruining my life i'm gonna ruin his so he sneaks into this <laughs> worst santa costume ever and oh. after sticking all this food in the Santa costume, he he's got all just... the bad drugs in here. <laughs> he, he, he dumps all these just random drugs into Billy Ray's office desk and then calls the Dukes and makes a big scene to go. He's got all the drugs in here. Quaaludes, yellows, uh, marijuana, <laughs> pot. He just he just like found this random bag of drugs and he just dumps in the bag, you know. And it was funny that later Billy Ray is putting them all the way except the one joint you got to sense and i mean if, if we're talking about being able to you know have street smarts i mean hey winthorpe scored himself a big bag of drugs there so <laughs> he did. i mean he did okay he well did especially okay. that that vial of cocaine he pulls it out he's like cocaine and it's like this <laughs> bottle of like, I'm like holy shit where do you get that from yeah mm -hmm. uh, so he tries to set it up and of course it goes wrong and uh, he's got a gun that he bought from, uh, I think that was Bo Diddley was. Uh, that was uh, Bo Diddley. Yep. Bo Diddley running the gun. The thinnest watch in, in <laughs> do you have a receipt? Bucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's worth $50. <laughs> How much for the gun? <laughs> the look that Bo the... Diddley gives him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just love the way that uh, Ackroyd pronounces and Stad. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, get, you get the feeling like like if this were set a couple of years later, you know, the Duke's trading firm would have like shared floor space with Patrick Bateman's from American Psycho. <laughs> yeah. That's a crossover yeah. I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. That is a crossover. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. That'd be interesting for sure. Uh, <laughs> oh, Info Bob mentions that Chris uh, Billy Crystal did have some cred. He grew up with Billy Holiday as his babysitter. His dad owned a record store that dealt in jazz music. And yeah, that's true. Not sure if that gives him a pass for using 
blackface and comedy, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, he, yeah, you know, it was the eighties. Yeah, it was. It was the eighties, which you know, just like <laughs> we. The, with the drugs that they choose in here, of course they pick cocaine. It surprised me that they uh, chose PCP to set up uh, because it's white powder in a bag because uh, 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 Frank Oz's cop character gets stopped by Beaks to help PCP, Angel Dust. But you know what this stuff does to kids? You see what this kid stuff to I'm like, wow, they go PCP because everybody thinks cocaine because it's a white powder and it's like, you know, and it's changed too. Some people say heroin at one point. They thought he had heroin. Yeah. His, his fiance. That's right. Yeah. No, it was PCP, angel dust. Yeah. <laughs> he corrects her. He's like, no, it's not heroin. It's PCP. Completely different drug. Uh, you know, and then uh, we, we've got to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis in here, who actually, again, what helps, I think, make this film keep it comical and, and it works is Jamie Lee Curtis puts in a solid performance, I think, in here, actually, mm-hmm. as as the 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 prostitute who helps out Winthorpe because she takes pity on him. Um, I liked her character throughout this film. You know, I mean the way she, the way the way she was. I mean, she wasn't a complete airhead or bimbo like they could have written her. They saved that for Winthorpe's girlfriend, I think, <laughs> because she. You get the one scene in there where he goes, "You're a prostitute," and she's like. Yeah, I got twenty four thousand in T bills, gaining interest. I got three more years of it. You know, she's figured out yeah. her financials at least, so she's got some smarts to her. You know, how how do you feel about her character and her performance, Ian? Well, it it is or, the whole or, cliche of the hooker with a heart sort of thing. It is the hooker with the heart. Yeah, um, it's it's like yeah, it's. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's the cliche. It's like, yeah. It's like I thought. I thought that she. It was a cliche, but she did it well. I, I mean, really, when mm-hmm. you come right down to it, there's a reason why cliches have a place in movies is because they resonate, and they continue to come back because they they work. I mean, so like it it might be cultural shorthand for a, a bunch of things, um, but no, I it's. Is like we we like these sort of things that they bring to a story, and I, I think it it yeah it fit in. What about you, Ian? I mean, I like Jamie Lee Curtis. I like this character kind of. Um, mm-hmm. I just think she kind of has the same problem that Eddie Valentine had, and that's you know just a problem of the writing. Um, the fact that she had this kind of financial acumen, like. If, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm supposed to believe that in Philadelphia or wherever this took place, yeah, it's Philly. Every everybody who lives in the ghetto is secretly a financial genius, falling <laughs> on hard times. I'm like, there's no variation in this. You know, there's more mm-hmm. nuance in the privilege. You know, this is something we talked about a bit earlier. There's more character nuance and realism in the upper crust. You know, call mm-hmm. it white financial sector characters than there are in the you know, the lower class character is almost kind of implies that the people who wrote the film, you know, they, they kind of like projecting stuff, uh, you know, in one it direction be, instead yeah. of getting some some nuance and actual character. I feel like if Eddie Murphy, I don't know what input he had. Well, apparently he didn't have any input on the script, but I feel like if, if he had had some input on the, the screenwriting and the development of his character and even maybe Jamie Lee Curtis's character, there just could have been some 
some flavor in it rather than like, oh, mm. I, I see where all of this is going. And, you know, it helps that there are a lot of, you know, laughs and these kind of funny set pieces. But if you just look at it from a story standpoint, it's not it's not very sharp. Yeah. You know, when I when I think about the comedic glue that holds a lot of it together, I actually think of Denholm Elliott in this movie. Oh, Delholm Elliott is phenomenal in this. this and and it, when we're we're talking about a farce and Denholm Elliott, he you know the things that he plays sort of straight, he is the observer. Um he is around these circumstances that are happening uh and, and is sort of like the observer to them. But to me his sort of uh the very sort of British reaction, which is not overreacting to anything. Um, his his most emphatic delivery is eggnog. Um, yeah. where, where his, his I, I mean, it, it's just sort of like his his very tempered delivery and everything. I I, I I really think that he is the glue that holds this movie together and keeps it from sort of flying off into total farstom. Um, it was that sort of the feeling of normalcy almost that he brings to it just the normal he's normal in this movie there's the normal butler uh and he is sort of cast into these absolutely crazy circumstances the fact that he plays this the 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 whole the whole irish minister sort of thing (laughs) on the train gets a little bit even more batshit insane at that point but everything he brings to it at that point sort of reels everything back in a little bit and makes it feel uh, I, I, that's what keeps the steady core of this movie, I think. And without him, I don't think we would have had half the movie it was in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean, because not only not only is he grounded and he's aware of all the situations and he's made to go along with this because the Duke's employ him but at the same time he's not under any impression he has no hero worship he has no like oh my god these class these, i want to be like these people that he's serving or whatnot he's just a guy doing his job and trying to do it well <laughs> that's but your the, house sir yeah <laughs> but at the same time he's show he shows human elements he's the most human and least caricature yes. i would say yes probably out of the characters here i'm not saying he's not a complete non-character but i'm just saying mm-hmm. out of all your characters in this i would say he's probably one of the least caricatures he's still a butler and yeah. he's still doing the butler roles but his personality seems a little more well-rounded that you know he's mm-hmm. having a little fun when billy ray's friends are over you know he's like oh <laughs> seems like the party was a success to me you know mm-hmm. and uh well yeah, even 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 uh, when he's talking to Billy Ray and when he goes yeah. in and he has that little exchange with Billy Ray and he talks to, to um, uh, what's Dan home at? What's his name in the movie? I forget. Um, but he says, well, what do they want from me? And he says, I don't know. And just like, be yourself. Yeah. They can't take that from you. Uh, yeah. And I just thought that that was a wonderful exchange. Um, just like, and, and finding, the humanity of the story in that, in that it's a whole, there's a whole lot of greed and grasping going on with um, trying to get more and more money with commodities exchange. But in the end it's being yourself because that's all you'll ever have. What? I, I haven't watched the movie in a little bit, but what was the 
switch or the moment that Coleman, that's Denel Elliott. Coleman, character. thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, when did he switch to being on the side of Billy Ray and Valentine in terms of helping to the, be part of that whole train fiasco where he's like dressing up in disguise versus just being a it, butler and or I'm pretty sure it was when, when, when Winthorpe OD'd. And so they brought Winthorpe back. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that would be when it's like, okay, this is having real human consequences. It's like Winthorpe almost dies because of this whole crazy bet that the Dukes put on. Okay. And so I think that would really be when um, Coleman switched sides and stopped being just the butler and really decided to take a side. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I hadn't really thought of it in that context because it's kind of played for you know mm-hmm. a, a laugh yeah. in, the, in the movie but yeah when you when you put it that way um yeah i can, I can totally see that yeah, yeah. because he ca- he cared about winthorpe he did not like going along with it but he likes having a job and he knew the yeah. dukes would cut mm-hmm. him immediately so he went along with it and until then yeah i mean he, you even see it a little bit when he has to reject winthorpe when winthorpe initially comes to the door and he tries to get in you it know pains he, him it, it pains, pains him. him to yeah. do that. And you can even see that. Look, he does that wonderful. Colm, he does this wonderful nuance of just with this character. Like he, the last time when he tells him to go away, he does this pause to where he just kind of looks away. For, he can't even look at Winthorpe, but he's got yeah. this painful look on his face. Like, just please go away. I can't do this. And I can't mm-hmm. reject you one more time, you know. And But he, he, he legitimately cares for Winthorpe. He oh, yeah. likes the guy, and he hated to see what the Dukes did to him. And then, yeah, it was the OD thing. It was like, well, that's the final straw. He's like, I don't care now, you know. And, and then when they come up with the plausible idea of how to stick it to the Dukes, yeah, he's in. He's like, I'm tired. They hurt this guy that I care about that drove mm-hmm. him almost to death. You know, it's one thing, okay, you're going to do ruin or whatnot. F- fine, I'll go along with that because he figures Winthorpe would bounce back. He knows the guy, and he started to. But things take a turn, and you know yeah. he he tries to uh, kill himself. So yeah, uh, here's here's a question. Okay, so when uh, Coleman was, whose butler was he? He was Winthorpe's initially, but he but, but, he but worked, under the employee of the Dukes, he yeah. worked right. the Dukes. Yeah. So right. was Winthorpe living in a home furnished by the Dukes? Yes. 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 Okay. So how long this is what I'm getting at here is, is almost like a rabbit hole of the Coleman character almost doesn't make sense. Um, I, I appreciate everything that you guys are saying, and I think that it's correct. But I'm thinking like this isn't like an Alfred Bruce Wayne situation where Coleman has been raising Winthorpe since birth. Why does he like Winthorpe? Because at the beginning of this movie, Winthorpe is essentially no better than those other than Todd or those other, you know, mm-hmm. at the at the country club. So I can understand maybe his affection for him, you know, because they live together. But in terms of like the behavior that he would have witnessed, there's nothing to think that, to suggest that he would have seen anything in him beyond like, yeah, this guy is just same asshole as Todd. And mm-hmm. he's been over a dozen <laughs> times. And I hate that guy. And I do um, agree with you. I think the way that Winthorpe treated Coleman at the beginning of the movie was just it was dismissive. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely agree with you on that. Um, and I think it speaks to Coleman's character that it was 
the fact that the Dukes drove someone to the point of death. Um, it's it's not necessary. It's sort of like just the fact it's, that. Well, here's it's not I, necessarily I, that it's Winthorpe. It's the fact that they've taken this person and the Dukes have destroyed this person. Well, yes. but think, here's here's my question know. though. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, but I want to put that to the test. Mm-hmm. It's Dan Aykroyd is playing Winthorpe, and he is a lovable comedic actor that we've yeah. seen in, in other films and on SNL. He's likable. If this character had been Todd, mm-hmm. do you think? Do you think? On and this is an honest question. Do you think Coleman would have cared about this whole like bringing someone to the to the brink of death? Because everything we see of Todd, we don't see a whole lot of him. But he and yeah. that ilk, he's not likable. He's played by a lesser known character actor how much of our familiarity with Aykroyd as a personality helps us to get on his side even though there's nothing about his character that would suggest that we should it's the way Aykroyd plays this character from the start um he's doing it satirical for the entertainment but if we look at this character say he's in Philly this character is actually in Philly you always get you get the impression with this guy who Yes, he's he's had everything handed to him and everything, but it's almost more like he's playing the part of a upstart, you know, whereas Todd feels more genuine. It always feels even from the start when you meet Winthorpe and it's just because of the way Dan Aykroyd plays it. And you're right. Right. It might be because we know the actor, but looking at that character, the way he would be, say, in real life, it feels like he is acting this way because of his status and he feels like he should. And maybe Coleman sees that because, you know, you always get the impression, even when, even when he is with his friends, he's still working to get their, them to like him because they're, they get trade barbs in the club a bit because he was successful. It's like, you know, they, they, they do that banter and it's almost like he, he's playing up the role of his status and that's not who he actually is. Woodthorpe is. And maybe I'm wrong, but you know, you know what I'm saying is deep down inside, maybe he's not, but I get what you're saying, but I, I get what you're saying, but just based on like what I'm seeing on screen Mm -hmm. and what I'm imagining the screenplay is like on paper, Winthorpe is Todd in performance. Mm -hmm. It's Dan Aykroyd. It's so Dan we're Aykroyd, on his yeah. side. If you had the actor, <laughs> if you had the actor who played Todd playing Dan Aykroyd, playing Winthorpe, yeah. and then you kind of swap them over. Because yeah, Dan Aykroyd, work. Dan Aykroyd could play, you know, an entitled jerk who are like, yeah, you know, in a bit part. But I think if you had the actor who played Todd, and I don't have his name right here. Yeah. I don't think you have the same. I mean, it's definitely a different movie because yeah. he probably doesn't have the chops, the comedic chops that Aykroyd had, but yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm going mm-hmm. down this this mental rabbit hole and I'll pull myself out because I don't <laughs> want to derail the show. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a comedy. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in the end of the day, it, it, I'm surprised it doesn't have National Lampoon's trading places on the top of it in, in the <laughs> way this plays out in many aspects of it. Uh, we also got another comment here from uh, the GZ Doctor Forever. Uh, forever. Uh, he says, do you think the social commentary on the film is just that? We have tons of financial geniuses in these areas. They just need an opportunity, hence affirmative action. They are overlooked because of zip code. That could be what they're going for. I don't know. I think you're giving it more credit. You know, 
maybe yeah. that's what they were going for, but it is 83, so it's hard to see if they were trying to go for that deep of a social commentary. And, and I think probably in the 83 perspective, it's like people have money because they have money more than anything yeah. else. It's, it's like it's the social commentary of that. And mm-hmm. money perpetuates and begets money. I yeah I would also challenge the notion that there are tons of financial geniuses anywhere because <laughs> yeah <laughs> no matter at the, least the three of the characters strata, that we have two or three well, I'm three. just I'm just saying like this whole idea of like oh we just we need affirmative action because there's there's tons of undiscovered talent out there I'm like the the, the status of financial genius is it's it's rarefied air um, so I don't think they're you're, I, think I, I understand the a, point but it's like eh, it's a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 hard to say what they were going for with it. i think they were mostly maybe even not going so far that deep i think they were mostly saying because this is 83 and so like i said the yuppie comedy was out there the the you know the class warfare was definitely building up with the you know rich versus poor mm. aspect which hasn't gone away but it definitely started hit its peak during the reagan era um, uh, uh, and so I think that's what they were going for more so than maybe necessarily commentary with the individual characters. Uh, if that is in here, I, I, I'm not sure if that was intentional or if they were doing it just because it helped the, move the plot of the story more so than anything, maybe. You know, it's it, hard to say with that. Uh, what else do we got in here? Oh, <laughs> Robert Bob says, uh, see, hearing Coleman yes. say scumbag is a rip yes. Rib tickling moment. It is definitely that. Yes. And that comes it's... back to how Coleman is such a grounding element in the moment in the movie. And when he when he shows emotion and when he lets loose what he's really thinking, it's a lovely moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like when he when he shows when he when he lets loose, lets loose when he lets <laughs> loose. It, um, it, it's really. Um, it's it's such a it's lovely endearing. Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is. Yeah, I I never really thought about this this movie in terms of Denholm Elliott being the glue, but I think you're 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 absolutely right. I actually went and watched the the tank scene from uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, over the weekend because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I want to show my son something from Indiana Jones that didn't involve face melting Nazis. Um, <laughs> and, and he's He's in that scene. He's being he's been captured in the tank with Sean Connery's character. I can't remember if his character was supposed to be drunk or something. He's like really like loose and kind of silly, but it's just so much fun to watch. And you get a little bit of that in this movie. But yeah, he's just he's got some great range. And man, well, he does. He's he's a great he's a great actor. And and he's got some comedic talent and he shows it here. I mean, Mm -hmm. but you're right. really is more and more of in fact because he's part of the he he and uh he and uh, ophelia uh <laughs> named uh for jb lee curtis's character ophelia are the two that put up the most money for the investment that they were mm-hmm. going to do once they get the actual frozen orange juice report <laughs> see that this is this is one of the best things about this movie is that there are actual web pages dedicated to explaining what the hell is happening at the end of this movie. I got to read those web pages because I still don't know what the hell is going it's, on. It's the, it's the whole idea. And it's really, they're, they're bringing in money, but it doesn't matter that much because when they start selling, they're selling things they don't own yet. 
-hmm. It's the idea of selling futures on things. So they're selling contracts. Because I've I've read a lot of these pages. And it's the whole idea of they're they're selling a contract, which is like a truck worth of frozen concentrated orange juice, like 10,000 pounds of it. So each one of these contracts is, you know, they're selling it for like a buck 42 where it comes down to 29 cents. So it's it's thousands of dollars per contract or thousands of, um, you know, 10,000 per per contract. And they have tens of thousands of contracts at the end. And and so uh, one page I read talked about how they cleared something on the order of two hundred and thirty two million (laughs) dollars at the end of this. And also let it be said that there was no rule before this movie about trading from insider information and that on wall street there is now the eddie murphy rule that if something huh. happens that causes that causes a price to fluctuate that greatly they will stop trading so something like this can't happen so actually this movie <laughs> did change wow how wall street change how wall street deals with things well i, and I gotta say because we talked about wall street last week I was thinking about trading places while mm-hmm. watching that movie. And yeah, I still, the, the whole like orange juice futures and the commodities mm-hmm. thing, that's a bit, I, I do have to do, do some reading so I can fully understand it, but I understood it a little bit more watching wall street and what they were doing with those trades, because it's, it still kind of comes down to the same climax. You know, we're going to try and force the other guy uh, to, you know, buy, low and sell higher i'm getting it backwards yeah but essentially to, right. to clean them out um yep. and where we take all the uh, we take all the yep. gain and then the, the people who were on top 10 minutes ago when the bell rang are now yep. at the very bottom when the bell rings again yep. yeah yeah like the, uh, the, the the dukes uh they they actually said where are we going to get 394 million dollars yeah yeah well, it's because it's the more volatile stock in Wall Street. What we looked at, it was real estate contracts. That and, was and, businesses uh, and airlines, and, yeah, and mm-hmm. airlines. So it, it was it was biz, it was businesses, not so much necessarily commodities themselves. Commodities, my understanding, limited as it is, is that commodities is as proven in trading places far more volatile. Yeah, and you can lose your money within the same ten minutes. Yes, <laughs> versus. You know, in Wall Street, it was a little bit more, you know, it, it was there was still a margin there, but not quite as hefty as. Uh... <laughs> well, it, and the the volatility in Wall Street came down to at the end where uh, Charlie Sheen, try, you know, screws Gordon Gecko essentially right. is him with that network of people he built up rigging the uh, the bidding on the stock. Right. Um, yeah. Trying to undercut and it. And that was bidding on the stock to where it wasn't so much you're losing money you 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 earned and then lost. It was just you out, out lost the bid. I mean, the way they, they did it more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This was filled that I still don't quite understand the stock part either. I'll have to mm. check that out. You yeah. know, but it, it, it's, but it's so, edited. It, it's edited in such a way that it's riveting. I'm, I, yeah. I'm watching it even the second time, which is like the 10th, 50th time, whatever I watched it. I'm sitting there going. I really don't understand what all yeah. is going on so, here. So here's At the a, here's same a time, I'm riveted. Yeah. Here, here's, here's the nutshell of what's going on: is that there's it, it centers around the 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 crop report for the oranges, and the Dukes think it's going to be a bad harvest, and so there's not going to be a lot of oranges. 
but that's not actually what happens. So when the Duke guy goes out, he's buying all of the sh- all of the uh, the futures that he can uh, because at the price that it starts, because he is pretty sure that to supply them later on, people will be spending even more to get those. So he's buying all of those that he can. But um, Winthorpe and Billy Ray, they know that there's actually going to be a lot of oranges and that there's going to be no problem with supply. So they're selling right away, uh, which is you know sort of crazy. So they just start selling and selling and selling. Uh, um, and then the crop report actually comes out and they find out that it's fine. So all of these people are suddenly in this horrible position where they know they've overspent. So they're trying to, to get unload rid of these things, yeah. to unload these things. So they're not right. in this horribly unbalanced position. So, um, so they're selling and selling, which is driving down the price. And so at the end of it, what happens is that um, Billy Ray and Winthorpe are holding a ton of contracts that they have um, bought or, or that they have bought for really, really cheap. But people are going to pay a ton to fulfill. Uh, so it's like, what, four and a half times or so. Because right. um, it's like it, it stops at 29 cents per pound. Mm-hmm. And the high was at $1.45 a pound. Uh, and it's something like at least 20,000 contracts that they bought. So, so that's really the essence of it. That, um, there's the, um, that they thought there was going to be a limited supply. There ended up not being a limited supply. And so uh, they're going to be able to fulfill all these contracts that people way overspent for. And and it's the idea of it's not a lot of high value stock, but there's a lot of it. So they end up making a lot of money because yep. they have so much little. So it's it's not so much value as in mm-hmm. quantity. They just they have a huge quantity, which, like you said, OK, so that makes a little more sense. So there you go, folks. Now you can ex- understand. Yeah. <laughs> The ending of Trading Places, which has a wonderful ending, a fun, happy ending. Winthorpe is with you, know, Ophelia. Uh, Billy Ray has uh, someone he met. Oh, we lost the, uh, lost Mark. Um, Billy Ray has someone he met. We're not quite sure who. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, and even uh, Coleman has uh, someone as well. So you know, I mean, it's a happy ending. Yeah. You know, they yeah. stuck it to the rich guys who we talked about crossovers end up showing up briefly in coming to America, which was a wonderful cameo. I loved that they got them for the cameo in coming to America. You remember that cameo? I've never seen coming to America. What? Yeah, and it's the 35th anniversary this year, so I think it's oh, about time Jesus. I I uh I give it a go. I already had I've, I've seen just, I've seen bits of it, but I've never I've never sat down to watch the entire thing from start to finish. I've literally just had my birthday. I already feel old, and now you just told me that coming to America is going to be 35 years old. Thank you. Thank you oh. very much. Oh, you yeah. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I get to come back in time just to turn into another puff of dust again. Dear God. <laughs> It was a great cameo in Coming to America if you'd seen Trading Places. When, when <laughs> we're back. Like, yes. They, uh, oh, I thought I thought they were gonna say they were gonna be like janitors at McDougal's or something like no, that. No, no, they're actually they're actually bums. They're out on the yeah. street. Oh, are they? The okay. And nice. uh and Billy and uh Eddie Murphy's character just walks by and he's got a whole 
ton of money that he got from, I think, one of his relatives or something for a wedding or whatever, but he doesn't want to go back to his car. So he just takes the money that's in a paper bag and he puts it down in front of these bums and they pull back the blanket and all of a sudden it's Donamichi and Bellamy. And they go, yes, he's like, he's like we're back. We're back. Uh-huh. Cause it's just, it's, it's thousands of dollars. And the fact that they <laughs> had them in the crossover with, you know, the cameo was, was wonderful. So, you know, I guess, uh, you know, we'll wrap it up here. It's not a, a deep movie. It's an interesting movie. It's funny. It is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, even with some of the maybe not so timely jokes overall, I think uh, it's it's got a lot of a lot of it holds to up. it. Yeah, and it, it, holds it up. does. It does actually hold up. Even there's very little problematic things with it. So it mm-hmm. does overall, I would say as well. Yes, yeah, it, it does hold up. So uh what's your final thought ian with trading places yeah i mean it, it's good uh as i mentioned i watched it you know earlier this year and it was the first time i think really watching it as an adult um mm-hmm. but yeah it's there's a lot to appreciate here and i think i appreciate it even more talking to you guys because you gave me a lot to to think about especially with <laughs> denim elliott i mean who knew <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's that's the thing and you know it's it's one of those movies where yeah, that we've talked a lot about problematic stuff and kind of giving a lot of trigger warnings during this conversation. I don't know if anybody who's very far underneath our age is even going to watch it because it's 40 years old. And like, yeah, ugh. I mean, the only thing mm. that could make it worse if it was if it were in black and white. Um, <laughs> but I think for the people who came of age with this movie, yes, there's a lot of, you know, body, raunchy, inappropriate humor. But I mean, it was funny. And it's still funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might be wrong according to modern sensibilities, but, you know, most things in modernity are seen as wrong by future generations. So it's like, yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you, you going to do? I think you should enjoy this, especially if you enjoy the talent uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis being in the forefront with her wonderful performance she put in on Everything Everywhere All at Once. And now uh, apparently she's fantastic in The Bear, which is a TV series. She's in season two of The Bear, which a lot of people have said she was fantastic in. So if you're a fan of her and, and Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, you may want to check it out. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of entertainment in here. Does get a little wonky with the trade scene in that third act, but by the end of it, uh, it it'll have you smiling. So I think so. Thank you so much. Thank you to my panel. Thank you to all the wonderful live people we had tuned in tonight. We had a large group at 1.5 people looking at us. So I appreciate it, Robert. As always, info bomb. We appreciate it. One last final tidbit from the gentleman. He says, Eric Idle said that when he guessed on SNL, he felt Ackroyd was the only member of the troupe who could have been a member of the Monty Python. So <laughs> that I think is probably one of the biggest compliments you could probably get in comedy. Right? is is having that said oh and we got one more let's let's work at this because this is a good good comment to, i think end on it what would a sequel look like to the panel that what would you want eddie murphy and dan Aykroyd to take on so so if they were going to do a trading places two, somehow uh come up with an idea what what would we want to see valentine and winthrop take on it would entail them getting off of the island. And I don't know why the <laughs> hell they would want to do that, really. Why why would you want to get off? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that's a, 
No, sorry, go ahead, Mark. You know, there, there's the thoughts of sequels, and then there's, you know, sometimes I think it's good to leave a movie where it's at. And it's just like, you know, I think sometimes a movie can just have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And I'm entirely happy with leaving it there. Um, you know, I think about where movies might go, where, where a trading places two might go. I really don't know. It, it's when you're talking about farcical comedies, nothing is off the table as far as how crazy it might have to be to get them off the island and back into a circumstance. Um, I, I was thinking, it's like, what would they do with like day trading or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> um, but really, uh, I, I am I am entirely happy with the thought of this as a nugget where the hero is right off into the distance and live happily ever after. Bringing us right back to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Crusade, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, yeah. But no, I here's like... You're spot on, Mark, and I think um, I have the same sentiment. I say leave it alone. The only thing you can do, I think, is do a remake of Trading Places where you're going to replace Aykroyd and Murphy with probably female leads. You know, that's that's just mm. kind of the way that things are going, and you just remake the movie. But what's the point? I mean, you're going to end yeah. up probably in the same place. I think the spiritual successor to this film came out in 2015, 16, I think. It was called The Big Short. I don't mm, know if you yeah. guys uh, saw yeah, that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that is a financial crisis dramedy that I think was was excellent because it does show the farcical nature of, you know, how all these things, this digital money, is it's all phantoms, right? It's all people <laughs> betting on yeah. stuff. It's a giant casino uh, on Wall Street. Um, it has real-world consequences. Um, there's another there was a movie called 99 Homes, which was sort of the mm. aftermath of the financial crisis, which is a straight up drama with Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield, which is excellent. But, yeah, there there are movies that have tackled the same subject matter, I think, in a weird way, building on the foundation of trading places. So I think mm-hmm. you leave all of it alone. Just watch those movies and appreciate mm-hmm. what we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say, too, I mean. If for some reason someone felt the need to do a sequel, which after, what, uh, 40 years, wow, I didn't even time it that way. I just picked this movie, but it's been exact. It's this is 40th anniversary. After 40 years, I think, I don't think you could use these same characters. It would have to be the generational thing to where it's their kids run into yeah. a problem or something. And then you yeah. have Ackroyd and Murphy show up at the end in cameos or some kind of thing, you mm. know, that's how they would play a legacy sequel to it. It would be like the kids of Valentine and Winthorpe or, you know, grandkids or whatever. It'd be, it'd be them taking on, you know, whatever, uh, cyber, you know, cryptocurrency or something. (laughs) I'm not sure where you would go with it. Yeah. There's some, some movies that that's their story. That's where it sits. And you can't really see too much, going forward afterwards because uh it it just i don't think exactly works yeah you know uh you just it not without it really going it was just you sit in the audience going really 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 (laughs) it's like oh come on the original movie was contrived enough we're trying this again (laughs) right 
Can I just take a moment to appreciate sure. that Eddie Murphy was 22 years old when he did this movie? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it was it was his second movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. 22. He's 22 in a film with a couple with a few heavies as far as yeah. acting goes. Uh-huh. So I mean and he holds his own. I mean, yep. You know, it, yeah, it, it's it's fun movie. I like it too. I, I even with it, it's, I still I watch this. So my VHS, uh, it, it's the cast. It is the uh, overall an ensemble cast, which is yeah. what makes it such a wonderful movie. Exactly. Yeah, and never takes itself seriously. Never. <laughs> I mean, and I think that would ruin it if it did. So yeah. there you have yeah. it, folks. Thank you so much for this. A little bit longer than normal episode, but this has been a lot of fun. Hope you've been enjoying the stocking up. And as always, I give the floor to my guests so they can shill away. They get the license to shill so you can find out where their stuff is at. So, Mark, why don't you go ahead? And uh, I know you got a few things out there you could shill. Oh, a few things. You know, just it's been a little bit difficult for musicians for the past two years. What with pandemic trying to play out and everything like that. Um, Spaces Between is my music project uh, on Spotify currently working on our second album. And actually trying to get out and, you know, play in front of people again. So see how that goes and you know, <laughs> actually do the whole live music thing. Uh, but uh, Spaces Between, Spotify, that's where go. I've been at lately. Yeah. Fantastic. And Mr. Ian Simmons, you might have a thing or two to plug. So please go ahead, sir. Well, thanks. Um, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. But mostly I'm on YouTube. If you go look up Kicking the Seat on YouTube, I'm there. Do um, weekly uh, live streams, interviews, reviews, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, actually not doing a live stream this week. I don't think. No, we're going to be doing, uh, yeah, Top Gun, not Top Gun Maverick, Mission <laughs> Impossible 7. That was last year. That I was last year. I, I think I, yeah, I caught a glimpse of the popcorn bucket over my shoulder from last summer. But yeah, Mission Impossible. Yeah. You're gonna be talking about Oppenheimer, Barbie, all the all the big stuff coming up. Barbie and, Heimer. Uh, Barbie <laughs> Heimer. This sounds so filthy. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's gonna be the it's gonna yeah it's the the second biggest bomb of the summer. But we already talked about Dial of Destiny. Anyway, that's what uh, that's what I got. <laughs> there it is, folks. And SpecialMarkProductions.com. If you're not aware of where you can find all our wonderful content that we've got coming, I'm a little behind on some reviews, but I got some coming a written review i actually do written reviews occasionally we got uh i've been kind of busy with interviews lately uh there's at least four new interviews in the last two weeks that i've got up four or five uh some wonderful uh interviews with some very talented folks yeah you know the play tiktok and all that threads now we're on thread or threads <laughs> whatever the hell it's called <laughs> uh so special mark productions uh, dot com thank you for our viewers tonight we had a great uh, crew here robert always glad to have you here info bomb so glad you could uh tune in again thank you gz doctor for ev and i hope i pronounced that right appreciate your input you had some great questions thank you to all our listeners and now i think until next time oh uh just to tease you next week will be a perfect 10 episode where we're talking the wolf of wall street so <laughs> prepare yourself for that folks should be interesting and until next time we'll say uh, good night everyone 
Hey everyone, looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then head on over to patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to even more wonderful podcast content. Hear the conversation that happens before the live broadcast. You can also get access to an exclusive VIP episode that you vote on that's especially for you, or get early access to all our videos on YouTube, plus more. So check it out there, folks. And the more you do there, the more we can do here. And remember, with the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.